We judge our children constantly and the reason we judge them is because they make us feel uncomfortable. All our suffering comes from an attachment to a belief that life should be that way. So when life isn't that way, we have a tragedy. There is no such thing as perfection, especially in parenting. There is no destination. It's only in the moment. Because we, A, we do love them, but our love gets perverted by this need to control them. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com so ladies and gentlemen it is such an honor and a pleasure to welcome to unstoppable dr shafali ah this like when we first did the podcast like they said to me okay who are your dream like your top five like dream clients that you'd like to get on the podcast. And uh, up there was Oprah, Joe Rogan, um, Navy SEAL, uh, Jocko Willink, and you were, wow. were right up there. And this is kind of a bit of a 360 for me. And some people who've been following me for a while will know a little bit about this and I'll get you to, to, to speak in a moment. But for me, the serendipity of this is, I don't know if you even remember, you, you may not, but I, um, I watched an episode of Oprah, the one where you actually made Oprah cry. I was physically affected. My wife at the time was physically affected. Uh, and then as a result of that, it was about six months later, we actually did a consult with you on video from Australia. Oh, I do remember. Your you kid do? was two years old. Yes. I remember because I don't get many uh, yeah. Australian, and back then, uh, it must have been on Skype. It and, was Skype. Yeah, yeah. Well, now Skype. I do remember. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, this is why I wanted to bring this out on the interview. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like we had some, we had an, enorm, an incredible conversation. I can't remember if we did one or two sessions together, but as I said to you off camera, like it led me to, I've been trying to book you as a speaker now for years. It led me to booking another speaker, Vanessa LaPointe. But I also then look at what you created as a result of just seeing that one clip with Oprah. Like I became obsessed on, I guess you would call it parental psychology. You know, I'm someone who's been a performance uh, obsessive forever in the area of human performance. Mm -hmm. I had the great privilege in one of my relationships where I worked with um, the niece of a great horseman, like I don't know if you, Pat Pirelli, mm -hmm. and I also got the opportunity to work with dogs. And so by working with animals without a frontal lobe, I, I got a very common understanding around how mammals operate. And then when I finally met you, I saw this integration of, this is gonna sound a little strange, but horse psychology, dog psychology, right. and human psychology, right. because I could see the relationship in the developmental mm -hmm. and the, 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 the mammalian mm -hmm. abilities and ways that they relate. Sure. And so you, you, you sent me on this huge, so it's an honor oh, thank to you. have you here. I don't normally talk this much ever at the beginning <laughs> of a podcast. I normally say, so tell us about yourself. So um, I know uh, most of the podcasts that you do are very much around, you know, how to deal with children, discipline, you know, also the parental dynamic and relationship dynamics. But what I really love, if it's okay by you, is I'm always interested in the origin. Like, where did this beautiful, because you're not, to me, you're not just a developmental expert, you're also a consciousness pioneer. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think I related to, you're a consciousness mm -hmm. parenting pioneer. Mm -hmm. 
But um, I'm always curious as to, like, you're obviously the culmination of an incredible life experience. Like, where did that all begin? Like, where were you born? Well, I was born in India, and uh, somehow by the age of 12 or 13 already was aware right. that this is not my true home. You okay. know, I knew I needed to leave. And I had a great upbringing and a lovely set of parents. And so it wasn't because I was being abused, but I was abused, I think, by the cultural paradigm that I was in. It's a traditional, hierarchical, you know, very sexist, patriarchal culture. So I was definitely uh, under the, the I was in, I was definitely uh, pillaged by it. I was I, right. I felt very abdu you were abducted by it, by it. Wow. Yeah, as a girl. Okay. And I think, um, you know, because I look a little different than the prototypical you are, Indeed. yeah. So I think I, got, I, I was marauded by that patriarchy and I wanted to escape uh, from a young age. I, I understood it was stifling for girls. Right. I understood uh, it was suffocating. I intuitively by the age of 12 knew that I am done, you know, like, so I, it was interesting because uh, in my home it was lovely, but right outside the cultural forces were very strong okay. and I was sensitive to them and being a girl, you know, most Indian girls are subjugated by that patriarchy right. and I felt it very acutely. I, I could understand quite empathic, it. I imagine, yeah. with what you're yeah. doing. So you picked up I on picked not up just early, the behaviors, but yeah. also the energy. And I was, a, I, I was definitely like most Indian girls, a pawn of it, you yeah. know. Uh, you, you, it's really hard and you to be a girl in India growing yeah. up in the 70s there. So do you yeah. think that applied a layer of maybe just maybe slight energetic trauma that provoked you to, to move something? I, I must have because I've often asked why by the age of 12 did I want to leave so yeah. badly given how beautiful my immediate home was. So and I, how I've, conditioned the culture is. Like, yeah. yeah. So now I've understood there must be these things. You know, it's only in retrospect. Yeah. Back then I just knew I needed to leave. Yeah. So I made a plan to go to leave, to come to study. And I went to California, I did my master's how there. How old were you at this point? 21, 21 which was the first right. age my father allowed me to, to be okay. away from his clutches. And so the minute I could, I left. And I knew I would never go back. I just knew I would never go back. That's wow. not my home. Yeah. So. Um, and I studied uh, psychology uh, in San Francisco. But also, as soon as I kind of landed, I went back to my roots in a way because I began meditating mm. and was introduced to Vipassana meditation. And so I went for my first retreat within six to eight months of coming here. So yeah, it was right. weird, like in wow. India. You came to the yeah, US. Yeah, I came to the US to, to go. Learn. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I found my, I knew what I needed you to do. You found your center. Yeah, I just knew what yeah. I needed to do. And then I think experienced my first epiphanic spiritual breakthrough at 22. And, right. Was uh, that during a meditative experience? Yeah. I mean, I understood the impermanence of life and the death of the ego, but I was too young, you know, it was too young for me. Yeah. So it was a lot to assimilate and integrate. I was still very mainstream, wanted to do so many mainstream things, but then I had this um, atypical kind of breakthrough and it was hard to integrate. So for many years, I lived a parallel life of the mainstream and then this esoteric, but you know, underground integrated both of them. Uh -huh. and, uh, and then I became a parent and really saw the, the coming together. The coming together of, of that. I really saw it, yeah. that you can be the most loving parent, but there's this ego which you tame in meditation, but now you have to bring it into your parenting. 
you know? And that was my experience. Yeah. Because I'd learned how to manage the emotions with the horses. I'd learned yeah. how to manage the emotions yeah. with the dogs. But I was trying to work with this child. And I was like, I know, the it's ego was present. The emotions were coming right. up. And I was like, but that's how I was shown. Yeah. And I was showing too. Yeah. Even though I had been meditating for a decade. Wow. But your ego as a parent is specific. It's unique. It's, mm. un, it's untamed. You've never seen it before. Yes. So now you have to learn this whole new language of parenting but being conscious. And so there really was the evolution of my way of thinking. And so at what point in, in your life did you start to become curious about how the mind works? Like when you went to university, was this already a foregone conclusion that you were going to study psychology? I think so. I think I was always fascinated by people. You know, prototypically, I wanted to be a child, uh, a, a, a teacher of children right. as a child. You know, that's just predictable. But really to be in the service of humans and to understand why we do what we do. And, but I knew that by the age of 13, 14 wow. already. Yeah. Were there any defining moments in your life where you experienced either a behavior from yourself or an observation of behavior from others and you found yourself really curious as to, well, I know that doesn't look right on the outside, but I'm really curious as to what's going on on the inside and maybe how I could help yeah. shape that. Like, did you ever have those kind of or did that come later on as you developed? No, I, guess, I think a level I think earlier, maturity? like I said, observing this patriarchal culture yeah. and seeing women treated. That's so interesting. So, so that uh, was actually quite formative as a part of your interest yeah. in psychology was the yeah. the cultural thinking. Cult to see culture, and I understood that there was a perversity here, and it was not okay how women were treated. You know, yeah. it's not okay. I didn't have the language, but I had a vehemence to understand it, and a protest. You know, I was I was angry at how women were treated at a young age. Wow. And then... Were you quite vocal at a young age about it as well? I, 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 don't, I didn't have the, the speech or the articulation, okay. but I, I just had an antipathy for the patriarchy, yeah. you know, and I didn't know why. I was like, why do I just want to run away from it? But I later could understand how suffocating it was for me okay. because I knew I was, I was uh, an exploratory being. I wanted to be free, but I, all I was met with was you can't, you can't, you can't. You have to be married by this age. You have to be docile and, and meek and subservient mm. and know how to cook. And I mean, it's the traditional uh, roles for women, you know, and I, I protested against that, but there was no room to fight except to leave. Yeah. So I just had to leave to find myself. And so what age did you graduate? Graduate uh, college, university. Yeah, so there you, the t I left at 21 already with okay. the, with the master, a one oh. year of a master. Oh, so you already had a master's, master's well, but that's there. a shorter program. Gotcha. And I was younger and okay. Yeah. And so what at what age? So you, when you left school, did you go straight into the masters? I came okay. here to do a masters. Yep. And then I worked, and then I did my PhD. Okay, right. Yeah. And once you did your PhD, what came then? Then was the child. Right. Then <laughs> which, you had the child. Right. Which, okay. we, we, you know, and then you become a parent and then everything kind of fades away, right? You yeah. know, you wonder who you were before you were a parent. What so, did you do before you were a parent? And that's right? my, my curiosity. Like, were you, was it a foregone conclusion you're in psychology, but was it also a foregone conclusion that you were really going to go specialize down that path of the developmental side? No, no. Or did that not come until? Yeah, until you, I became a mother. Right. And then I saw the roar of my own ego. And I think I realized that we are in trouble, you know, as parents, we're yeah. doing these things unconsciously. And I began speaking up for myself. You know, I began educating myself through my own observance of my own ego yeah. and deconstructing myself. Like, why am I so angry? Why am I so afraid? Why am I anxious? 
if she doesn't poop by the age of 2.2 years, you know, or walk by 3.6, or whatever the, the milestone yeah. was, I was measuring this child and causing myself anxiety. Mm. So I began observing myself and began to see the insanity and then began to ask, where does this come from? And to realize it comes from culture mm. and my own upbringing also, and then trying to really hunker down on what about culture has sent us off this trajectory as parents to be so controlling out of fear. It was interesting. I, I, one of the, I don't know, do you know of Caesar Milan? Um, yes. I'm a yes. huge fan of Caesar. Right. Uh, he's right up there as well. He's in that list. And one of the things I love about Caesar, he goes, you know, I don't train dogs. He goes, right. I train the human and I right. rehabilitate the dog. Right. And when I was exposed to your material, I saw the same, I guess you could say, frameworks really right. applying. Right. And so is that what you kind of started to look at was the behaviors and going, well, hang on, this, this behavior, it's not so much the child that I need to really be looking at here. It's like, what am I, what am I projecting that's perhaps, right. you know, creating or contributing to this behavior? Right. This infant cannot be the cause of my temper tantrum, right? This two-year-old cannot be the reason I have lost my cool yeah. in such a drastic, dramatic way. Mm. So I have to look inside myself. And this is what I began teaching parents to do. What about you is being triggered in this moment? This two-year-old cannot have this power over you. Because if this two-year-old did have this power, then all of us would have the same reaction to every behavior on the outside. But the mm. fact that every behavior elicits a different reaction shows us that it's us. So what about us is being evoked, being activated. Mm. And typically it's an old childhood wound or a cultural misbelief. You know, we've bought into a, a false reality. My kids should, you know, this is bad. You know, I'm bad. And diffusing that through intense uh, inner deconstruction. You know, you mm. can't just think you want to be yeah. better. You can feel real remorse. You know, I yelled at you, I'm so sorry. I'm going to do better, but you can't think your way through it. You have to heal your way through it. You said the, a, a great word, the intense inner deconstruction. Like it's, it's, so, it's so apt. So you, you have your first child. Did you, yeah. you've, you've had more children? No, no, I like every parent thought yeah. I'd have a gaggle of children. And yeah. that's what I deserved. I was entitled to. And, and then I couldn't, I couldn't conceive. So then I had to oh. again ask the question, you know, now what? What does yeah. this mean for me? And what path will I choose? Okay. And uh, I often... So you had tried to have more kids, you'd gone through the process? No, I didn't go through okay. the process. I went through the process in my mind, okay. but I, I really questioned, you know, whether to do it uh, artificially right. oh, okay. or yeah. Yeah. keep it natural. And then I, you know, with everything in life, I try to go down the path of least resistance, yes. you know, and accept the as is. And yeah. what are the lessons now for me with one child? Mm. And how do I see the death of my fantasy of having this big family and understand that was a false attachment. It was a false idea. It was an image I created of this family and I needed to let it go. And so in that actually was a huge birthing of greater wisdom, you know, and then similarly, when my child doesn't conform to my fantasy again, I'm able to do the same process of understanding what was my attachment? Why do I have this fantasy? What does it say about me? Mm. Who will I be without it? And where does it come from? What, what is the source of this, this fixation I have? And mm. all our suffering comes from an attachment to a belief that life should be that way. So when life isn't that way, we have a tragedy. You know, we experience great suffering.
Mm. But the wisdom of the of the mystics says, uh, you know, accept what is. Yeah. And when you accept what is, you flow through life, you know, and children teach us that. Children, when they come so young, they're so capable of being in the here and now, you know, mm. they can have huge outbursts in that moment, yeah. but now they're in a new moment. Yeah. And we're still in the old moment, yeah. you know, we're still upset. But the capacity to follow children's ways in the here and now teaches yeah. us to be more present. Yeah. You know? The correlation with working with animals is just so... In have you ever trained animals? Or no. The correlation no. is just... Yeah. Uncanny, it really is. Yeah. So I'm going to assume this naturally had a flow on effect to you commercially. Like but, but remember, just, just about please. animals, most animals are in captivity. Yeah, true. And we'd love to do that with our children, yeah. but we can't. Yeah. You know? But that's so, the, the aspect of, I guess you could say, working with animals that I'm really in love with is the conscious aspect. Because yes, there's yes. the traditional, yes. which is it's the traditional parenting, yes. the traditional training with a dog, yes. the traditional training with a horse. Yes. And then there's conscious training yeah. with a parent. It's conscious yeah. training with a horse. Yeah. It's conscious. And but but, but unlike an animal, you know, you can't leave your, you can't pack your bag no. and leave your kid, you know, and go Although time my cat, to... My cat did. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, I, I'm going to assume naturally as a part of this flowing process, this obviously affected you commercially because you came out as a psychologist, but now all of a sudden you've got this huge interest in developmental and the parental. Yeah. Did that kind of affect the way that you went as a business, like as a, as a therapist? Well, it, you know, I don't think strategically uh, in terms of how I will appear in the world or what this means for my bottom line. No, 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 I didn't yeah. mean, I'm just curious if it just as but a natural it did, consequence. But it did, yeah. yes, yes. So yeah. it, it, yes, had, had pretty severe consequences because my clientele were, were mostly yeah. parents yeah. and now I'm telling them that they are the problem, oh. you know, so they didn't like that. So yes. I, I had many people fire me and I lost business and it was, it's even today very hard, not for me anymore, but yeah. I have a coaching institute and I train coaches to do what I do. Yeah. They find it very hard to go out there and break the resistance that parents have, you know, hmm. no parent wants to hear it's them. Yeah. You know, parents would rather hear that their kid is totally messed up than accept <laughs> yeah, that it's their that fault. Is them. Yeah. And I used to say to parents, would you rather that yeah. reality that your kid is so messed up? Or can we just look at yourself? And they were like, no, Where's the it's greatest the possibility it's the kid. for a change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fix the kid. Yeah. You know? That's because so it's so threatening, I think, for us. And so what was the... To look in, inside. It is. Yeah. I think it is. And that's where I'm, I love the work that you bring to the surface, which is about the ego, because whatever it's bringing yeah. up for us is only an, an attachment to, yeah. you know, some kind of an ideal that may be unhealthy. Yeah. So between when you started the... You became a parent and Oprah, because that's when things really blew up for you. Like you really... Uh, you went on to write. I think that was... You were on Oprah after your second book or your first book? Both books. Both books. On Oprah. Yeah. You saw the second book, actually. The second book. Yeah. So you've now written three incredible books, all, right. all bestsellers, um, which we'll talk about as we go. But between that time period, what was the time period? Because you, like, to, to affect Oprah at the level that you did, because she's one of my idols as a broadcaster, right. as an interviewer. So, right. you know, it's, it's not so much about the hype of, oh, my God, you're on Oprah. It's like, that's actually a serious accomplishment. Like, that's not yeah. something that everybody gets the opportunity to do. Yeah, it wasn't. All three books happened in six years, two, two years, two years, wow. two years. It's kind of like that. So know? how did Oprah come about, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I think I was on my second book already right. and uh, talking about my book, you know, but I would uh, kind of speak about wanting to be 
in her presence, like everyone does, yeah. a lot. So I would say to anyone I met, you know, if Oprah read this book, she'd love it. If Oprah read, I just kept putting it oh, out there. Wow. Yeah, I used That's to. So interesting. I used to wait for her for her Chicago number to show up on my phone. You know, I used to expect three one two. Wow. And then one day I was in a session, and three one two showed up. And as if there's no one else in Chicago, <laughs> I told him this. But I told him, I said, this is from Oprah's office. Oh, my I'm God. I'm not lying to you. And he, I said, go, go. And I told him. So I picked up and it was a producer oh my from Lord. Oprah's office. And I still wow. envisioned 312. You know, it was the Chicago code. Okay. And I told oh my, my client, I wrote to him. I said, $100 off, let go, vamos. <laughs> yeah. And he wrote, no, he said he's not going. So I left the room, I was like, okay, I'll leave. And I went into a stairwell in an in a old New York City building where my office was, and it was all echoing. And I had a few minutes to convince this producer that Oprah needed to feature this book. Wow. But Oprah's not a parent, you yeah. know? So luck would have it, this producer was just a new mother for the past seven months. She was oh, just... Charming. So she, something in my voice or my pitch, she was intrigued enough to say, we'll consider it. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, I think maybe a week later, they said, we want to feature you on Super Soul, which is every author's, not every, but most author's yeah. ultimate, ultimate fantasy, you know. Yeah, I bartered with uh, whoever I don't believe in. You know, all the, all the gods suddenly became, I was like, I'll never ask for anything ever again. I'm so grateful, I'm so yeah. grateful. But I forgot, as soon as the first interview was over, I wanted more, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was definitely a pivotal yeah. moment of, you know, you can't believe when something you envision mm. comes into manifestation. And you know, the Dalai Lama, Eckhart Tolle and Oprah were my three top people. And Eckhart wrote the, the quote for the cover. His publisher is my publi was my publisher. The Dalai Lama wrote the foreword and Oprah interviewed me and none of them are parents. You know, these are the three top people that I, I wanted. And that I, is so special. I got it all. And, and how special, but mainly because they're not parents, but because they're not parents, in a way they kind of get it too, yeah. because they see the madness yeah. around parenting and can see it more objectively. Yeah, I'm sure they talk so a lot she got it, you know, yeah. she understood. So that kind of makes me more curious into you and how you've achieved your life. Um, you know, because you mentioned you've evolved, you just always expect the 312 number. You know, you knew what was going to happen. You just put it out there. I didn't know it was good. Actually, I did not know. Okay. It was just a char I can't pretend to be this law of attraction, you know, manifesto. I just, yeah. I just, I can't say I, I knew it was going to happen, but I was just dogged yeah. that that's the only thing that can make this message get to the level it needs to. So I just knew that. Yeah. But I would have taken anything, you know, anything on the way there. You know, I was just dogged that that makes the most sense. Yeah. But I never knew it would actually happen, you know? Well, look, I guess everyone's got their own, you know, version of the law of attraction. But yeah. like, have you got rituals that you have learned over the years that you have used in order to manifest certain things or perform at certain levels? Because yeah. I can only assume doing what you do, like if you don't show up, then, you know, for a long time, yeah. well, you didn't get paid. So there's been yeah. times where you probably had to show up in situations where you didn't feel like going to work. You had your own stuff going on. Yeah. Like, what are your little rituals or routines or mental, spiritual hacks that you've used? I, to... I think um, I look at the space I'm in. So this spiritual world, this, uh, you know, non-traditional world that we live in. 
and I look at who are the, the main players in that world. Like, you know, you found me, I'll find you. And I connect the dots, you know, and I try to connect the dots, but I do so without hustle, without, you know, craving. Yeah. But in my 20s, I definitely hustled and I definitely craved. Yeah. This is me talking now, yes. having kind of connected yeah. many dots. So there are phases that we go through, but I think I, I see the space I'm, I'm, I want to be in and I find my way to be in that space. And I think that's how we attract. Mm. We have to become it, be in it, live in it, breathe in it. And then we surround ourselves with that community. So for example, I found that I wanted a community, but I didn't have one, you know, to talk my own, this language. So I just created one. Now I have a big community and I've trained people to talk to me the way I want to be talked to, you know, and now we're all growing together. So you have to surround yourself, yeah. you know, and you hear this all the time, but it's really a fact. It's a real fact. You have to be in it. You can't mm. watch it from the outside. You can't think it. You have to envelop yourself in that. Yeah. So for Oprah, for example, I began, you know, talking to everyone in that space and I put myself out there. And I literally can tell you the dots that took me to her. I know exactly the four people who yeah. were pivotal, the last four people yeah. who just turned me around the corner. But it took me showing up yes. and just not just doggedly doing the work. Yep. And I say this to all the people who want to pursue their passions. You just show up in that space. Don't show up in some other space. Show up in the space you want to be in and grow in and just keep showing up, be a volunteer, offer a free lecture in a basement. I did all those things, you know, do it for free at first, serve and speak, like speak it out, express it. Don't leave it buried inside you. People are not psychic. So I talked about Oprah to everybody. I, I, still, I still remember I used to tutor math in a little kitchen in Queens. And after I got on Oprah, the woman, the mother wrote to me Aww. and said, I remember you telling me in my little kitchen in Queens when you were tutoring my kid in math that you're going to be on Oprah, you know, or that you want to be on Oprah, you know. So I used to talk about it like in case she knew someone who worked at <laughs> yeah. Oprah's house. You never know. Yeah. You have to put it out there. And yeah. I think many times we feel so inferior that we pedestalize people on the outside yeah. and think that we can never be part of that world. And the people who are on the pedestal are quite lonely because no one is talking to them. You know, I feel that now that no one wants to approach me because they're afraid. And when they realize that I'm approachable, you're approachable, then they're like, oh. Mm. But the truth is we are approachable. And the truth is Oprah was approachable. Yes, albeit 10, more, 10 times more people are trying to get to her, so yeah. it's harder. But she as a person was so receiving. We're receiving. But people are afraid and I was afraid too until I broke down that barrier in my mind. Mm. I'm not inferior and no one is superior. Now how do I just show up without those games in my mind of who's better than me, who's worse than me. I just need to do the work and show up. I love that. I'm curious though, there's probably been times where you've experienced levels of, you know, because a, a lot of parents ask the question about, or we talk a lot about and as a result we get a lot of questions around regulation and dealing with stress and you know helping but it's often in the child's perspective and helping a child learn how to regulate and understanding the mechanics and the environment that supports right. that but i'm curious um for yourself like i know for me i grew up with massive social anxiety and all sorts of stuff that really 
pushed me in the pursuit of learning how to regulate because I just didn't feel completely normal. Right. And so as a result, I came up with my own little process and you know, it works really well. It's something you talk about a lot, but I'm curious, like when you're overwhelmed, like similar to what you're saying, you're human. You know, I'm sure you probably have situations where you've you know, either maybe raised your voice at your child or you've oh, had a bad goodness. day or you've 100%. sworn. Like we oh, all have those goodness. days, Everything, right? Everything, yes. But oftentimes people only see what's on the camera. Like has stress played a role in your life? And I'm going to say if it has, what are some of the techniques that you have used or developed, again, as little rituals right. that you've used for yourself in order to be able to regulate uh, and deal with it? Yeah, no, stress, of course, you know, uh, being an immigrant in this country and not having money at all um, and having to struggle my way up, uh, I was very much under stress. And when my daughter was born, you know, every $10 I paid to the nanny, I was like, I used to count it, you know, and barter, should I not have a shower? Should I not go to my PhD school, you know, course, because I'm spending money. So. You know, I definitely had rough times and stress and uh, sleeplessness, insomnia, all the things that busy working mm. mothers especially go through. Um, but I learned to meditate at a young age. So that was a right. huge mitigator. Yeah. But I still was, wasn't above losing my shit, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, I am, yeah. I am literally the, the poster child for this work because I'm a psychologist. I understand development. I'm a meditator, and I was still losing it. That's why I have deep compassion. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what, what chance does another parent have? You know? I mean, I could blame my kid. My kid is really special <laughs> yeah. in, in, like, triggering me, but come on. You know, yeah. you, you wouldn't expect it from a meditator. And yeah. I didn't expect what I saw coming out of me mm. from a meditator. I, I used to think of myself so highly, you know, until I was bought into shambles. And... Um, I realized that this is some other level of, you need some other level of supernova, intergalactic, like <laughs> Buddha level skills to be a parent. Jedi parenting skills. Yeah, Jedi, yeah. you need some other level. Because uh, I thought I was it. Yeah, but, um, it's only me. It's, yeah, and then, then you realize that everyone struggles mm. and the more compassion I have for myself, I can have for others, you know. And I'm relatable in that way, I think, because I am, I've done every... I mean, except like literally spank my kid, but I've imagined it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, mean, yeah. I would really like it. Like yeah. even, even any if parent that hasn't spanked a, their kid, I'm pretty sure has imagined right. it. Right. So I'm not, yeah. I, I don't pretend to be this, uh, mm. you know, angelic parent. So compassion is a very, is a, is a way for yourself is a tool that you use for. I, so I think in, meditation, yeah. which teaches you the pause, yeah. which makes you aware in the moment. Of course, after the disaster has struck, but soon you learn to be more preemptive. Yeah. So learning the power of the pause and seeing how the past wants to infiltrate the present moment and how your past childhood patterns want to flood the present moment, so much so that you're not even seeing the child in front of you. You're just completely projecting from the past. That power is the Jedi skill, you know, yeah, is right. to pause and see the past becoming projection. And if you can disrupt that pattern, you free your child. But you have to halt yourself in the tracks of the projection when your childhood is coming hurtling down, all your wounds are bursting from your holes. You know, you have so many holes like Swiss cheese and your crap is just coming, pouring forth. Now I'm teaching parents how to put a break on that, you know. Mm. So yes, nobody can do it in the moment, but that's mm. what we, that's the ultimate uh, fantasy. 
but the reality is at least do it an hour later, at least do it a few years later. Yeah. You know, learn to understand how it was that you missed seeing your child for who it is they are and placed on them the past, you know. So that's level, the, the big Jedi level. Le Jedi level. Yeah. But on the way there, on the way there are some awarenesses that there is no such thing as perfection, especially in parenting. There is no destination. It's only in the moment. It's really all play, if we can enjoy it, you know, and that's why our children are such masterful gurus, because they're in play. Mm. And we've lost play. We've become linear. We think there's a point to this whole thing. It's not a game. It's serious. But really, it's, a it's just play, you know. And so understanding that was huge for me. And then understanding that everyone is at a different point of consciousness. So I have compassion for myself back then and then yesterday because I realized, oops, yesterday I was at that really low level of consciousness. Mm. And today I'm going to raise myself to a better level of consciousness. So there's no end perfection here in, yeah. in a sculpture that you can place in a closet. It's every day. It's moment by moment. And it's shifting. And uh, ultimately it's about how do we live in our heart, more in our heart and not in our ego, mm. you know. I've seen hindsight be used as a really powerful psychological tool yeah. to help people integrate negative past experiences as really positive ones. Yeah. Um, you know, because oftentimes people say, what was the worst thing that ever happened to you? And they say, oh, well, this happened. And then, you know, oftentimes six years later or three years later or three months later, they yeah. go, oh, my God, on reflection, if yeah. that hadn't have happened, this wouldn't have been, wow, Right, you, you begin life. to appreciate the yeah. vast interplay of cause and effect. But in the moment, well, that's you, my, you're scared. That, and that, but that's know? my curiosity. Like, I'm curious to know from you, like, have you ever looked at ways to pursue hindsight in the moment as, yeah. a, as a concept, as a tool yeah, for a mind that's yeah, maybe perhaps yeah. busy? As you meditate more yeah. and more, and that's my main pathway to wisdom, you see the irrelevance of all the form-based uh, seductions. Yeah. So if the C grade comes, you learn that it's a seduction. Now you can drink the alcohol and go drunk on it, or you can see it as a just a temptation. Mm. Oh, it's a temptation of form that's pulling me to yell at my kid and have control because the C grade I've, I've been conditioned to see as bad, bad, bad. But with perspective and with the awareness that it's all form, it's not really the essence of who mm. it is we are, you can bypass the seduction and realize, okay, it's, it's just what I'm being pulled to because culture has told me this is a freak out moment, this is a punish, punishable mm. moment, but you don't buy into it, you know, and that's the power of consciousness. You begin to see through the seductions of this matrix and you begin to realize, oh, you really want me to get upset, don't you, C-grade, you know, or pimple or cellulite. Oh, you really want me to lose my equanimity. You really want me to be unhappy so I can pop a pill or I can call a therapist mm. so I can consume, yeah. so I can binge, so I can spend money on, on in this capitalistic matrix. But I'm not going to because I see through you mm. and you can't take away my joy. You know, so you begin to talk to the seductions of form and you see through them and then they don't have a hold on you as much. Nice. You can laugh, you yeah. know. Um, I might move more into the, the children component. I've got a brand yeah. question I'd love to ask you yeah. at the end if we have time. But um, you've, you've, I'm going to assume you've seen thousands of parents, you know, in, in your, your career that's been, you know, of epic proportions. What do you see as a lot of the fundamentals? Actually, maybe a better question is, because you, know, you often talk about conscious parenting, 
Um, and sometimes perhaps people maybe don't relate to that because they're new to, right. you know, the exploration. Right. But what's unconscious parenting? What's the typical stereotypical <laughs> unconscious parenting that, because most people, if we talked about conscious parenting, mm -hmm. some people go, I don't, I don't relate to that. But if we talk about maybe the concepts of unconscious yeah. parenting, people might go, oh shit, that, that's, well, I just thought that was normal. Right? It's, it's raising your kid according to what culture says is, is how you should raise a kid. So we categorize good and bad. We all want good children, so we all contour them to be good. And then if they're bad, then we want to control it. We don't want to understand our children. Mm. And then we want them to go through all the comparable, uh, competitive milestones that everyone else is going through. So, you know, if the neighbor's going for ski lessons at the age of three, my kids should go to ski lessons. Or if the, the neighbor across the street is learning sign language, oh, my kids should learn sign language. Or, you know, what that parent says. And, that, and you're just caught in this cauldron of this conveyor belt of existence, you know, and you just take your kid through it. Like you just expect your kid to fall into it. Oh, I come from a family of great illustrated baseball players. So my kid's going to love baseball. You know, and you just do this repetitive, automatic, presumptive kind of parenting without stopping to go, wait, who is my kid? Mm. And what does my kid want to do? You know, I could have all these fantasies, but do they match who my kid is? And how do I contour that synergy without imposing who it is I am onto my kid? So, for example, I wanted my kid, you know, my fantasy was that my kid would go to, you know, a more hippie, democratic, in the jungle, in the sky, you know, <laughs> kind of school. And, yeah. you know, or like a Waldorf school. Or, you know, not that a Waldorf school is like that, but something non-traditional. Like a Montessori. Even more yeah. non-traditional. Oh, wow. Uh, and, like the bush. Uh, like in the bush, yeah. yeah. Like being naked all day. Something <laughs> yeah. like that. That was my fantasy. And then when I went to the school that matched that fantasy, uh, I realized, oh my goodness, my daughter will burn the school down. You know, like that's not her nature to be in this little school weaving or doing, you know, or picking leaves. That's not her nature. And so I realized where she's at in the public school, which was my most loathed reality, was exactly the place for her. Wow. And I began to see the beauty in that. So in this way, we think yeah. certain things are beautiful yeah. and we put judgments on mm, them, but so they're just coming from an, a fantasy. Yeah. But really, your reality in its isness could be the most beautiful thing in the world. Yeah. You know. Oh, that's powerful. Because normally it's the people trying to influence to the contrary. Yeah, to do the like yeah, yeah, get out of mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. uh, that's so interesting. So, yeah. what is one of the biggest mistakes that you see parents make that is a universal? I think that we operate out of fear. The greatest okay. mistake I believe parents make is that we are fear-based, and if we are really honest with ourselves. Most of our reactivity towards our children comes out of fear. If we asked, am I saying this out of abundance? <laughs> yeah. Am I freaking out over my kid right now because I'm just coming out of abundance? And I trust and I surrender? Or am I freaking out because I'm terrified my kid will be homeless and I will then feel terrible about myself? Oh. And that's the ultimate mm. knock. It's not how bad my kid's life will be, but how bad I'll feel that my kid's life is so bad. So that's why we all want our kids to be happy because we feel good. Mm. But just that goal of wanting your kid to be happy is so utopic and so silly, really. But so cultural, like you even hear like, what, like, what do you want for the atypical spirit, spiritual touch? Yeah. What do you want for your child? Well, I don't care what they don't do as long as they're happy. As long as they're happy. happy. Yeah, yeah. And I don't say, I don't, I, 
Wow. I may say it if I've, you yeah. know, if I've fallen into some stupor yeah. of culture. Yeah. But most typically, I won't even use that word yeah, because so I know that I don't really want that for my kid because yeah. that's impossible to want. Yeah. I want my kid to live their, her life, her, their, their authentic yeah. life. Wow. And if their life happens to be one where they are, you know, being ravaged by storms or tsunamis or, you know, dealing in, in with a, depression, dealing with depression. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to yeah. make her feel like, oh, she's just wasted her whole life. Damn, I failed. Yeah, I failed. Yeah. yeah. You, you, your whole life is a yeah. cross. Cross it out. Wow. It's do we live authentically or do we try to be happy? You know, and I want to be authentic. So if I'm crying all day, like mm -hmm. say even today, if yeah. I if I cried all day, I won't look at it as a bad day. Mm. I look at it as a as an intelligently authentic day. I obviously had reason to cry. And I cried. And I and then I'm happy another day, and that's it that day. And then another day is is a dissatisfied kind of bored day, then that's that day. Mm. You know, I don't take any of it seriously, really. Yeah. The happiness, I know, is very fleeting. And so is the sadness. So I'll cry, big deal. And so I'll be happy, big deal. None of it really touches the core of who I am, which yeah. is just presence, right? We yeah. are ultimately just beings who are here. And so we've put all this pressure on ourselves to be happy mm. and then to be successful and then to you know, go to this kind of college and then to have this kind of job and look this certain way. You know, especially women have to look a certain way now. And we don't accept ourselves and we, we loathe ourselves really. And then we loathe our lives and we compare ourselves to other yardsticks and we mm -hmm. are miserable. And so the only antidote is radical acceptance. You know, Tara Brach has this beautiful book called Radical Acceptance. Yeah. That's the only answer is radical authenticity, radical acceptance, radical and honesty, radical honesty yeah. and radically not giving a, two, two Fs about anything else. You There's know? something else I'm curious about. Like, do you think another mistake that parents perhaps make is they build dishonest children by lying to them, thinking they're doing them a favor? Yeah, yeah, and for I, sure. And I guess you could say it starts maybe even with Santa Claus. Oh my God, To all the, the point time. where we, don't, we lie to our kids if there's something right. going on. But, or, but we're lying to them by being prophetic, like we know the future. We're yeah. lying there, we're not prophetic. And you I know, have this, you'll be unhappy or you'll yes. be, you'll, you won't get a good job and the kid is in seventh grade, you know. And also then also, when you look at the counter of that, when kids lie and then when they perhaps, perhaps tell the truth and they get in trouble for telling yeah. the truth and yeah. they end up in this kind of, yeah. in this kind of a bit of a quagmire. How do you deal with that stage when it comes to like dealing? Um, I've had a, I had a few questions on the way here from parents. Um, actually, do you mind if I ask? I'm going to go in another direction. I had a... The, one of the bigger questions I get from people is like when a child first comes into this world, they're obviously very helpless. Um, they're, they're trying to work it out as we are. But how do we deal with the emotion that comes with a child? Because oftentimes, like you're talking, we want our child to be good. We want, we want to feel like we're, they're healthy, we're right. doing the right thing. Right. Uh, and when kids come into this world, especially as parents for the first time, you know, as kids go through the phase of being an infant to, the, to being a toddler, we now have to deal with these situations where there's all of these unexpected times of the day that can't even be put in the calendar where we might just experience a meltdown. And characteristically, most parents typically, stereotypically respond the same way when a child goes into meltdown. But what I found really interesting was your approach was really quite different. Um, so why don't you talk through, first of all, when a child is going into meltdown, what is that? 
Okay, because oftentimes we go, well, my child just didn't got what they, they didn't get what I want. They wanted. They were trying to manipulate me. I just said no, and they're crying because they didn't get what they want. And I'm like, well, hang on, maybe there's a little bit more to that. So, what's going on for the child when they have a meltdown? And with that understanding, perhaps you can help us apply a lens of compassion that will sure. translate to a better way that we can act or respond and behave sure. that might be more conducive to getting the outcomes that sure. we want. So I think the first place to begin to help combat tantrums and big feelings in our children is to look at it with the right lens. So if we call it a meltdown, we're already calling it something pejorative. Yeah. You know, we call it a tantrum, we're already calling labeling it. But even how do we combat this? It's like even it perhaps, the word combat, yeah. right? It's how like when, it's not it? an adversarial yeah. approach. It's yeah, not a right. me versus you. It's a call for greater connection, right? Yeah. So how do I understand? And most of the time, we're talking about children who are under the age of six or seven who are developmentally not able to regulate. I mean, 40-year-olds can't regulate. Mm. We can't regulate. You know, a little kid can throw us, and un uh, throw us for a loop and unhinge us. So how can a little kid not be unhinged? Now, just because we're adult and we think the kids should have regulation over a piece of chocolate or a ball, doesn't mean that's valid for that kid. For that kid, that's life and death, right? It's so important for the kid. So we have to have understanding of the see, development. We just see it's just a chocolate bar, we are, but neurologically, that's connection for but them. But in the same way, yeah. if our Gucci shoes got burned down, yeah. the kid would be, not care and yeah. we would care, right? Yeah. It's just relative to Different what values. values yeah. right? For the kid, that little bead, is so important and for us our Louboutin shoes are important right mm. or whatever so it's just a matter of judging we judge our children constantly and the reason we judge them is because they make us feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. we judge them when their behavior unhinges us to the point that we feel like we are incapable incompetent so and when true. they call to question our image of who we are and they call to question that we may not know what we're doing. Instead of us releasing control and surrendering to the unknown, yeah, we don't know what we're doing. It's moment by moment. Wow. And connecting to ourselves and our children, we go into supreme anger and we get so threatened that we now want to fight back. It's like tyrannical control. We want to you know, usurp their power and regain our own. It's really very primitive. And it's interesting because you see it play out in passive and aggressive ways at the same yeah. time, yeah. where the parents, their children start misbehaving yeah. and you immediately see the anxiety building and the, right. the so you see unconscious it in younger, younger kids, because mm. the kids are so raw and yeah. they don't care at that point until they're conditioned to submit. Yeah. But then you see another uprising when your kid is 14, 17, you know, and how triggered parents get when a teenager bangs the door or is rude to the parent. The parent can't take it. You, how old is your kid? Six. Say, oh, you have a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my daughter's 17 now. Wow. So, uh, you know, I see how a 17 year old. You don't look old enough to have a 17 year old. Yeah, what? You don't look old enough to have a 17 year old. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, spiritually old enough to have one, that's for sure. But I can see how activated or activating it is when a teenager rebels against your authority. Mm. Now, if you're a parent who desires authority, you know, I gave up authority a long time ago. Yeah. But if you're a parent who's attached to authority and is attached to a, an idea of control, toddlerhood and teenagehood is going to throw you for a loop, you know? Mm. And so you want to prepare yourself 
to abnegate your throne. And teenagehood is all about the abnegation of the parental throne. And parents are not ready to, to give up the throne. You know, they want to be on the throne. And you can't uh, in teenagehood. They will usurp you. They will tell you go, especially if you're not a benevolent uh, ruler, you know. And if you haven't been benevolent enough, they're not going to tolerate. Well, do you think that'll increase the probability of, of rebellion? Like if you are, because one of the, the concepts that I became quite familiar with in my, as I was researching this more and more, was the idea that the more we dominate and suppress yeah. and use aggression and manipulation yeah. and perhaps yeah. lying yeah. to get the behavior we want, yeah. ultimately when they become wise enough of the age where the yeah. real issues are created, they're not going to trust us. Yeah. And as a result, when they don't trust us, they won't talk to us and they will rebel. Yeah. And so I've kind of, I don't, and please, I don't know if I'm off, off if I'm well, going off Well, I think that's one here. trajectory. Yeah. Then there are other trajectories where you see children uh, numb themselves and through yeah. substances and they withdraw and yeah. they rebel against themselves. Ultimately, we don't want our children to have to rebel to find who it is they are. Yeah. So if they can be as yes. close to who it is they are, yes. then they won't have to go down this circuitous path that all of us did, mm. where we absconded ourselves to only have to find ourselves again for yeah. the next 30 years of our life. You want your kid to be as close to their authentic self, yeah. even if you don't like how that looks, they're not. Because if they're not and they follow your dictates, eventually that suppression of the true self will erode at them to the point that they'll have to go and, you know, find their way again. Mm. So you don't want them to go through the path we all went through. You know, find the self, we had the self, we lost the self to reclaim the self. It's often interesting how we go for speed and convenience over what's long-term effective. Yeah. Because what I started to realize was when I stopped trying to ma manipulate my son's behavior, yeah. I required a lot more discussion, a lot more yeah. communication, which yeah. took a lot longer. Yeah. But ultimately, we still get the same result. Right. So we want Just quick fix late. parenting. Yeah. It's too annoying to sit and talk, you yeah. know. Who has time to meditate, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, these, these yeah. things require a whole different way of being, which sees through the illusion of busyness, you know. So it's kind of simplicity parenting, it's slowing down parenting, slow cooker living, where you just go into another gear, you realize the illusion of all the madness you've bought into. Yeah. You can still play the game if you want, but understand you're playing. It's not the life that you want to live. The true life is in the here and now. And slowing down to have the presence to be mm. in the moment, you know. We're seeing a whole raft of um, new ways to regulate come into the market from technology to new substances, yeah. drugs, yeah. Uh, the evolution of alcohol, it's how it's packaged and marketed. But what we are seeing is, you know, there's obviously an incidence where substance and you know, internal chemistry is being used um, as a, I guess you could say, um, as a, as a, 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 what is it, as a numbing. Yeah. Um, you know, addiction rates yeah. are an all-time high people using antidepressants is at all time high, you know, and oftentimes I hear parents talking about how they've, their kids have been medicated and all these different things. But what I'm curious is how do we create the best environment to perhaps prevent, you know, situations where a child will seek out or will want to learn how to regulate through perhaps unhealthy behaviors? How do we set our kids up to yeah, regulate I don't, I don't think if possible? we can, you know, do it to the point of uh, perfection. No. You know, my kid could be uh, you know, addicted but there, there would tomorrow. be certain things that would increase the probability, yeah. I'm sure. Well, sure, neglect, yeah. trauma, yeah. excessive stress in the house, excessive dogma dogmatism I, and I'm, control. I'm sure you're familiar with Gabor Matei. Yeah. I, yeah. And I'm a big fan of his yeah. work. And 
um, as someone who's had experience he's with interviewing it. me next week oh, he's up yeah, there he's as well great. like yeah. as someone I've been touched by addiction yeah. and I'm super grateful yeah. for the experience yeah. but I'm also now very conscious developmentally of how yeah. I got there wouldn't yeah. change it for the world yeah. but it now gives me a different set of tools yeah, to but use you know the same circumstances different kid different trajectory yeah different parent different so nothing so is a formula That's so true so you just don't know what kid you have and how that kid will resist you could raise the kid with the greatest connection the greatest mm. nurture and that's why i tell parents that the the goal is not to raise a particular kind of kid yeah the goal is to to heal yourself so that were the kid wanting and willing they had the availability of your presence you know but mm. many kids don't need that or don't want that it depends on the kind of kid you have yeah i mean you know the prototypical two siblings grew up in the same house twins grew up and they were so different you know and parents are shaking their head that we gave them the same parenting but obviously the technique can be one thing yeah. but it's the how the predisposition of the kid is to to take absorb that What do you what do you think though when you look at some of the variables that Gabor talks about when he goes yeah. okay if, if these elements are and he yeah. again, he looks at addiction as a spectrum yeah. which I love and he goes that spectrum is essentially influenced yeah. by the the level of or the yeah. intensity of certain variables yeah. and Well he talks about early childhood behavior yes. till the yeah. age of 7 the imprinting yeah. that occurs there and so do I and if you don't have connection and attachment not safety. the spiritual kind of yeah. that, but yeah. like the safety security, security. predictability constancy uh attunement. and nurturance attunement yeah. soothing yeah. um then quite likely you know if a, if an infant well, has increase been increase in probability increase in probability Potentially. but again it depends on the kid yeah again you could have a kid with all those things that's such a good who neutralizer still goes, such a good you know so we have to let go of yeah. the control but you're mm. right we create the probable conditions for that's but, really but I, more where I'm I, going. i don't yeah. even want the parent to create any conditions you know why i want the parent to focus on their healing when they heal the conditions get created mm. right don't don't mm. don't pretend to paint your wall into a pretty color of lavender because that <laughs> is said to work on a particular part of the brain in a way yeah like don't look at the outside if you heal enough yeah chances are the highest chances are you will create a secure atmosphere because you're a secure human being you're grounded in your in your own being state so you're going to exude that right That's you can so have meta. right you can have yeah. all the techniques down but you're miserable cool. while you're breastfeeding and the kid absorbs that i love that it's like literal it's the literal essence of cause and effect so how do you make it consequential not effort yeah. like how yeah. how do you create yeah. what's Inside within yourself. you and when you're in a great mood yeah. and i see this with my daughter and oh, she's wow. in a pissy you know 17 year old mood she can't really get me down you know i'll be like oh you know you you hate this oh too bad or i'll tease her you know i just won't get affected which bothers her greatly <laughs> yeah. um, as it would any 17 year old right she gets more angry with me but i why should my cheer go because you're hormonal or you're 17 because i know that's your time to be in a bad mood or yeah. you know rebel you or, had your time you know i had my time <laughs> yeah. this is your time go yeah, ahead go have ahead. your time express yeah don't mm. be cheery and yeah. optimistic and you know be who you need to be this is your time mm. just like a toddler's time is to be a total mess you know that's what toddlers do you take away the chocolate and they're supposed to go crazy go ape shit bat shit crazy that's the toddler's prerogative you know a teenager's prerogative is to be rude and 
be dramatic and you know be you know apocalyptic about everything that's their time mm. to think they're invincible you know uh, to sneak around to to think they've got a one up on you you they that's their first foray into their power and you want to take that away from them like why you know of course they're going to miss curfew what did you think they're not going to miss curfew so why are you upset of course they're going to dabble in experimentation of some sort and then when they do you're appalled <laughs> but you did the same thing you know it's like which level of piety are you coming from right so i i'm shocked my daughter is more well behaved than i was you know that shocks me not mm. the other way around i'm shocked i'm like you're not you're not like <laughs> sneaking out at two o'clock and sleeping with boys like i i wanted to do and probably did you know you you didn't you know i go that shocks me because yeah. i'm expecting normal adolescent behavior for example you know Your and then of it. i'm expecting yeah. you know i'm just expecting the whole gamut mm. and I'm, i'm just expecting the unexpected you know i'm just expecting all of it the predictable the unpredictable because i don't hold the standard mm. to what is a good life i think that's one of my biggest wisdom lessons of not you're holding a, a standard you're a kung fu master of kids and the reason i say that is like um i've done a lot of martial arts and one of the most potent forms of martial arts i've seen is what is a formless style there is no yeah. form yeah like it is literally based on the the flow of the that's body it. and that's it i think um yeah you absolutely nailed that and you've be, really seen through the form yeah and not Because getting I, I guess, cut out I, and again i i i fall into that trap all the time it's like well give me a no no give me the process like yeah. give me the one two yeah. three and that can sometimes be supportive as a step in the evolution yeah. but ultimately that's only going to work until you get to the point where it doesn't yeah. and there'll be something else discipline is a big thing that i think every parent deals with you know even with themselves yeah. um and their kids when we look at conscious discipline because i think we all know what the traditional model yeah. of discipline is i think most people by now you know and this is shocking i sh i shared this um in another interview I remember <clears throat> was before I had kids before I met my ex-wife I shared a, a a meme on Facebook that said um I was spanked as a child and I grew up with what's called a healthy dose of respect for my elders and I remember sharing that and I copped quite a bit of abuse uh and but I remember thinking at the time and my defense was look I got thrashed and didn't fuck me up <laughs> yeah and um that's that's our cognitive dissonance reduction ooh, and it's so yeah. interesting because then uh, or that i deserved it or my parents were try you know i was well, really bad well, my language was yeah. well that's just how things were done or back that's then. just how things were done right but it was so interesting because when my son came into the world i st i still remember this moment it was a pivotal moment for me he was about it was about six months before we connected and spoke um was, i i remember the interview your interview with me and i remember you remember me sharing i remember me telling you Uh, because you said under what circumstances is it okay yeah. to do something traditional not spank yeah. but like a time out and yes. i remember telling you under no, no circumstances, circumstances you know is it okay i remember yeah. that moment and you took a deep breath and you went back in your chair because i could see it was breaking a pattern huge yeah i mean like i i said no time out yeah. no consequence no no physical consequence no emotional shaming no anything except deep understanding and connection right and you were trying to find some way to put your past into your present and i was just and let me let me share with you that because yeah. that's to me is the culmination of this I had a moment. It was six months before we spoke. I visualized doing everything that my mum, because I was only brought up by a single mum, yeah. had done to me to yeah. discipline me. And my yeah. mum did the best that she can, yeah. and I'm not going to 
shame her in any way. But you know, there was some stuff that I that was I went through. But literally, as I was going through it, I started to cry, and I thought, how on earth could I possibly ever even raise yes. a finger? Because yeah. I've never been a, like I've done that to Noah yeah. like maybe three times, yeah. and I've I, I, I worked that out. But the timeouts I hadn't. Yeah. Because I going back into my other life. I was with this girl for about five years who had a, a daughter. Um, I was the pretend dad. And, you know, I, she hated me for the first six months. Yeah. And it was just this wildly creative and, you know, big, loud child. And so I was like, how do I freaking handle this child? And yeah. I went and watched every season of The Super Nanny. Yeah. And I, I developed a level of effectiveness from mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting, it got to the point where it worked to a point. Right. But it didn't, didn't make me feel good. Right. Like I felt terrible. Right. And it wasn't consistent. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to speak to you. And I was like, okay then, so how do you discipline a child? And I remember I sat back, I was like, okay, I can't use me. Yeah. I have to use him. Right. How do I, how do right. we discipline and, and our it, kids in a healthy way? But we, you know, a, a toddlerhood is irrational, illogical. Yeah. You just have to ride the storm and it'll pass. And those big feelings scare us, you know? because they're vehement and they're at the wrong time and place, right? They're in the grocery store, they're in a party when you're with impressing your friends, they're on a nice day on the beach when you want to relax. It's terribly inconvenient to have a toddler go off on you, right? Because they're not, they're not, they don't care about social mores. So you just have to know this is the toddlerhood phase. But and even, you if have it's to, not a, even if it's not that phase, like how, how do you put a boundary in place in a healthy way? You can't, you can't, you can't <laughs> tell the kid to stop crying. And the yeah. more you tell them, they're going to probably cry yeah. more. Now you could scare them into stop crying, which is what everyone tries to do. Yeah. You know, now could you distract them? Sure. Could you play with them? Sure. Could you uh, entice them? Sure. But typically what people do is scare them into stop having big feelings only because the big feeling yeah. is terribly inconvenient. But it's just a feeling and we think it'll never end, but it kind of passes. And learning to contain the toddler through our gaze, through our presence, mm. through our emotional steadiness. You know, I, I didn't know how to do this either. I had to learn, you know, fast how to be there for a toddler. It, it used to bother me when my kid used to have this, these extreme outbursts and rages, right? You want to fix it. You want to manage it. And then I learned, oh, the best way to fix it is just ride it with them and they will, it'll pass. But it used to unhinge me so much. You know, we're anxious beings mm. and we want control. And toddlerhood is our first foray into not having control. But why then we have a second and third kid, we're kind of seasoned. You know, we <laughs> ignore them, we walk over the kid. Yeah. You know, the kid is having a tantrum. The first kid yeah. brings out the worst in us because we treat them like porcelain. You know, but by the second and third kid, we realize no one died, nothing happened, there was no brain damage. This is just the part of the course. And then yeah. you. You, you manage it better. So moving away from managing the meltdowns more into the perhaps the, the, the later stages, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. How do you, the, your child does the wrong thing. They say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing based on whatever value right. system or, right. or cultural system that is in place. How do you impose um, the concept, not discipline, but the concept of a boundary in a way that is healthy? that you yeah, might you know, call now, as right, conscious discipline. Right, now, you know, there are different ways to do it, and I can't yeah. say I have the best way. It depends on the child again, depends yeah. on the parent. I often work with the parent's limitation, you know? Okay. For example, I'm an extremely, you know, hippie. I, I may have no boundaries, really. I have to really 
train myself to be bothered by things. You know, yeah. that's my falling and that. my failing. Yeah. So similarly, if I have a parent like me, I'll be like, come on, you know, say something, you know, wake up, do something. And I have to train the person that that's inappropriate, right? Yeah. Because I'm so easygoing. Right. So if a parent is like okay. that, it'll be harder for them to discipline. Okay. Versus another parent who's controlling, right? Don't put your shoes here. Da, da, da. Do, you know, that parent needs to back off, right? So it depends on the style of the parent. Mm. And I can't make a parent somebody they're not. I work with the consciousness of the parent I have. And, I, and then the consciousness mm. of the child we have mm. and their nature and we try to find a match. Or I show the parent, this is why it's not a match. This one is really, you know, in your face dominant. You have a dominant kid and you're a passive parent, you're going to clash. Or you have a passive parent, you have a dominant parent, you know, passive kid, a dominant parent. So I try to show how the energies, the natural energies of each other are causing the problem. And the answer is not even to fix it. The answer is just to understand it. And within that mess, kind of work something out and keeping the predominant focus on connecting with your kid, you know, mm. and to stay away from control. Because the more you see things to be fixed, the more things look wrong, right? If everything, if you, all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So how do you avoid looking at the lack and fixing your kid to relaxing in their presence? Mm. And all of us fall into that. You know, we see our kid lying on the couch the first thing we think of, have you done your chores? Did you put away your toys? Did you have a shower? You know, and the kid just wants to connect to you. My daughter used to say that to me. The minute you come and talk to me, you want to fix me. You know, and my, wow. and my kid mm. told me that. And yeah. she actually still, still tells me that. Like, please don't give me instructions. Right? Because we think they're projects, you know, waiting for us to fix them. You yeah. know, if we didn't tell them, they won't know how to live. Right? But these are our delusions. Mm. Because we, A, we do love them, but our love gets perverted by this need to control them. I love how meta you are. Like, you really do go above it. Like, you just go above it, which I think takes a lot of the, um, yeah, a lot of the thinking out of the process, which is really quite unique. Like, yeah. even to people in your space. Yeah. Um, you know, when people think about having kids, and again, most of my people, most of my, my audience who's watching this, a lot of them is going to have kids. But there's also, you know, we touch... Uh, older demographics whereby as a result we have you know 12 13 14 year olds you know 21 year olds and as a part of our audience you know younger demographics as well is what i'm saying most people when they think about having kids they go okay well i gotta get acupuncture get my diet right i'll get my yeah. health on point i want to be as fit and as healthy and i yeah. want your sperm to be clean so let's get we'll all get cleansed and fast and they often do a lot of physical preparation in the you know in yeah. the in the pursuit of having kids but yeah. Oftentimes people don't think about the mental preparation and I don't mean about just like, oh, okay, it's going to be yeah. a lot harder. Yeah. But with your experience, like for those people who know it, whether it's going to be in the next six months or the next six years or 10 years, at some point I'm going to have a child. What are some of the things that I can do that would might either better prepare me to be able to deal with that or to be increase the probability of perhaps, you know, having a, a, a journey that's going to be more cohesive to you know, what's well, you required? know, uh, being psychologically aware, you know, working on your past, uh, uh, being aware of your lack-based belief systems, you know, reading books like mine would have helped. Would have helped me so much. So your books. Let's talk about those for a second. You've got three incredible books. What are they? So the first one is the Conscious Parent, and that lays the foundation of what it means to be an ego and yeah. live in fear. And then second one is Out of Control: Why Discipline Doesn't Work and What Will. I love that book, but People have a hard time with it. And then the third book is called The Awakened Family, which takes all of it and kind of goes deeper and really cuts through the, the dysfunction of culture. Mm. 
mm. and how culture really has created a toxic environment for parents, making it almost impossible for us to thrive. Mm. Culture has made it impossible for parents to feel good about themselves yeah. and to feel successful as parents because there's always something you're not doing enough of. Yeah. And your kid is not in 10 sports and your kid is not playing three instruments and your kid only knows one language and you're and like... your mom doesn't meditate. Yeah, yeah. and your mom... You know, so it's all these impossible standards yeah. and people think my technique or my approach is creating more standards and I'm going, no, I'm taking away standards and asking you to enjoy the mess of this, you know. Mm. There is no standard of perfection that you can achieve in anything. The internet has given rise to a whole range of opportunities and access. You're one of them. Um, but there's obviously a lot of people now who are starting to apply labels to themselves that perhaps didn't, wouldn't have done that before right. because they're able to perhaps overanalyze themselves. Yeah. Something I hear a lot of people coming to me with um, is talking about codependency. Yeah. And they talk about how they've identified that they have codependence tendencies either on, on either side, you know, perhaps as the narcissistic side mm -hmm. or on the other side. Mm -hmm. um, but what I'm curious is, and again, I, I think I already know what your answer is going to be to this question, but how does codependency start? And perhaps what are the things as parents we can be conscious of that might support um, the greater probability of that interdependence that I guess everyone looks for? Because I, I guess... Right, interdependence, most, but not an enmeshment. Yeah, because right. I guess most parents aren't, like want to raise a kid that becomes whole, healthy, happy, mm -hmm. But then the whole idea of them leaving, they're, they're absolutely terrified. Right, because they're Because they don't need us anymore. Correct. But that's the absolute Right, that's the absolute ultimate, ultimate outcome, outcome is, yeah. is differentiation. Yeah, right? you don't need me anymore. You Correct. can abandon them. That mess. is the goal. Yes. You know, and parents are terrified of that because mm. they're garnering and depending on that identity for their value. Right. And that is the number one, you know, pitfall yes. of parenting. So the ultimate goal is differentiation, where yeah. your kid feels autonomous enough to be bold enough and empowered enough to be on their own. Whether yeah. they're right, whether they're prepared, the fact that they, are, they see themselves as separate from you. Mm. And that's what's so heartbreaking for us because we want to be enmeshed with them because mm. we have enmeshed with the identity of being a parent. We so want to be mothers forever, for example, that we can't bear that we are not in the mothering role anymore. But everything has its season and its time. You know, I remember when my father was around uh, 60 years old, he stopped fathering me in the way that I was used to. You know, he wouldn't check up on me. He wouldn't, quote unquote, pamper me the way he was. He kind of just let me go. And I was indignant and I was like, how can he let, he's so selfish and I remember judging him. And then I realized appropriately, he's letting me fly and he's telling me enough. And he's also resigning from the role. He's like, I did the role, now how much more? I mean, I'll always be your parent, mm. but do I really need to father you forever? And he didn't even say all these things, but that's what wow, I understood. Yes. And he was like yeah. resigning, mm. he effectively resigned, you know? And I think we all need to resign yes. from the role. Now we can always be parents, but we mm. don't have to be the mothering, you know, or the fathering constantly in the way that we have been at least. You know, we need to redefine our role and redefine our position in the role, our energy in the role. We need to reimagine this constantly. You know, I remember when my daughter was 12 and I was trying to lecture her, sermonize her about something, and she tried to listen and defend herself. And then she said, you know what? Why am I even, you know, defending or explaining to you anything? You are irrelevant. And I remember feeling the raw of my ego and I wanted to punish her for <laughs> saying it out loud. <laughs> my greatest fear. 
And then I st stopped and I realized that's the greatest compliment, you know. I mean, she was very rude, but yeah. well, what to do? No, I get it. But it was really <laughs> a compliment to herself yeah. that she made me irrelevant because that's the goal. You know, we want to become irrelevant to our children because yeah. they are relevant. Yeah. And we don't need to keep controlling and pouring our control into them. But that's an, a revolutionary idea. And people are terrified of that. You know, I want my daughter to fire me, you know, because I have things to do. I have my own life to live. And so does she. Mm. And she, I'm sure she's waiting for me to resign myself. That Nothing would give her greater joy because she needs to be empowered yeah. in her own identity, you know. When, I, when she was uh, 12 or 13, I would say, you know, I'm leaving on a trip. And she'd go, Mommy, don't go. And I used to feel so good. I was like, wow, I, she loves me. And now she's 17. And now when I say I'm going to go, she's like, OK. <laughs> right? And I see how yeah. I need to let go. Mm. I need to stop depending on this role and her love to fill me. You know, I, I, her dependency on me is not healthy for her. It's, it's great for my ego, but it's not even good for my soul. Mm. You know, for our soul, it's to walk up individual paths and let each other go. What does unhealthy enmeshment look like from a, um, like a, 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 a behavioral perspective? So that someone might go, oh, God, my God, I, I might be doing that. And yeah, go, oh, many, many things. And I do some of them, some of them I don't. So the things I don't do, for example, is dictate what activity she does, what she does on the weekend, what friends she has. How, who she's sleeping? Uh, no, who she? Who she? <laughs> Sleepovers. Who's sleeping over? <laughs> who she's sleeping with? Who she's sleeping with? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or even that, right? Who yeah. she's sleeping with? It shouldn't yeah. be my problem if she's already sleeping with someone yeah. at at a later age, you know. Of uh, but the you know who she sat for lunch with, or who invited her for a party, or who her friends are, or what problem she's having with them. Those are not in my jurisdiction or where she goes to college or giving her radius. You know, you can only go in these places because I want to meet you mm. all the time. What career she pursues, what what endeavors she what is interested in. What about as, a, as a, like a, uh, a three to seven year old? What does it look like at that yeah, age? For, for, and then for younger kids, okay. it's... Well, for younger kids, uh, we do need to be more hands-on and present. But we have to do it in a playful way. No, in a non-tyrannical way yeah. so that they also feel empowered. You know, they are kind of helpless to our tyranny. Yeah. They will go to the preschool we send them to. They will go to the lessons we enroll them in. They don't mm -hmm. know the vast possibilities. They're subject to our imagination and our dictatorship. So you, you are aware of the power you have and you want to meet it out with as much benevolence, grace, freedom, and giving choice as possible, as possible. And the way to do that really is to watch your kid, is to witness them and to see them in their essence so that whatever you are putting onto their plate, you're doing it with an understanding of who it is they are, you know, and not to over micromanage every mm. moment. So yes, we do need to sleep by nine o'clock, mm. but if it's 9.30, it's okay. Everything should be in a range of possibility, you know, so that your children feel ease and flexibility and playfulness at that age, you know. And, and then as they grow older, to watch yourself. So, for example, my inability to undifferentiate comes when I ask my daughter, you know, have you done your homework? It just comes out of my mouth. And how stupid, because she always says yes. I don't think she's ever said no. <laughs> but we keep doing, keep doing the same dance. Yeah, because I feel like I'm in control. Yeah. I need to check that box, you know, or I'll be like, did you have a shower again? 
she's never going to say no or she's never going to say oh my goodness you're right i'm going right now you know and but i feel like i'm obs- i'm obsessed there and mm. i can't untick myself it's like a tick but being aware is the first step so i am all i'm saying to you is that all mm. of us have these obsessions you know yeah. do it this way do it that way and we want to control our children but it's be aware control it's a marker macro. of control yeah oh, well, no what i meant was micro control yeah, versus micro, macro yeah macro macro yeah macro is Trusting, high level boundaries, trust. yeah, and Micro understanding. Is, don't do that. Put your shoes yeah, up. Yeah, we put do it that. here. And from yeah. 5 to 6, we do this. And from 6 to 6.15, we read a book. And from 6.15 to 7, we pray. And yeah. oh my goodness, you're setting yourself up for failure. You know, why are you doing this to yourself? You know, because you want to control the unpredictable nature of life. You know, and releasing that is, is scary for people. Mm. You know, and as your kid grows into teenagehood, you, you know, I still do this. Did you do your homework? Did you do that? You know, and silly questions, yeah. which really nobody should be allowed to ask after a certain age. But we parents think we can keep asking. You know, I, my, my mother still asks me questions that, that I at 47 now tell her, Mom, stop. You know, she's still doing it because she can't get off the bandwagon of being a mother. Yeah. So when do we stop? Wow. You know, that's very powerful. OK, yeah. last question. Um, why two two parter? Yeah. Why do you do what you do? Like, what's the reason that you do what you do? And the, the second part is, what do, what would you love your legacy to be? And I know from my sense, you're not attached. Yeah, you're you're very much whatever will be will be. But I am curious yeah. as to what is it that drives you? Like the reason? Well, I think I see people suffer, and yeah. I can, I understand why they suffer, and I want to offer them a pathway uh, when they're ready mm-hmm. to suffer less. But I don't want to take away their suffering. You know, I'm not invested in taking away people's suffering. Yeah. I am offering a hand, but I know that their suffering is part of their evolution. So why would I rob them of it, you know? I'll just show them the meaning of their suffering and so that they can have consciousness in the suffering. But I never say don't suffer. Mm. You know, I'll say let's be conscious in yes. our suffering. Let's be conscious in our, in our depression. Let's be conscious in our addiction. And when you're ready, your consciousness will grow to a point that you're so ready that one day you'll just step out of it. You know, that's the organic way to heal. You know, not to say be happy, not to say don't suffer, you know, go, this is why you're suffering. Now let's be conscious, suffer, but be conscious that you're choosing the suffering at this point or you're willingly co-creating the suffering at this point. Mm. You know, so stay in the, in the unhealthy marriage, please. It's your prerogative. You know, I'm not going to tell you to leave. But understand this is why you're not leaving or this is why you're, you're in it or, or how you're co-creating it, you know. And now it be illuminated in your suffering. At least let's not pretend the suffering is being done to you, mm. you know. That's so I think is. that's what motivates me is to help people be conscious, help people live their most awakened life and to laugh at, them, at themselves and to play. What does you that know? give you when you're able to do that? Yeah, I think it definitely gives me a lot, yeah. okay. Others, I wouldn't do it. You know, I'm not a Mother Teresa here. Yep. And I'm sure it gave Mother Teresa a lot. You know, nobody does anything no. because we are some great beings, at least not me. I do it because I get a payback. And the payback I get is a great rush of gratification mm. to, see, to see like I help somebody, to see somebody suffer less. It gives me great joy, you know, and that's why I'm hungry for it. And that's my payback, you know. If I kept doing it and they were miserable, I wouldn't do it anymore. I'd be like, that's it. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, you're too miserable. Yeah. But I see the change in people. And yeah. when I see them 
suffer less and, and find freedom and laugh at this whole joke, cosmic joke that we're in, mm. it does give me, a, you know, a shot of dopamine. And that's my addiction. You know, that's why I do it relentlessly, yeah. passionately. I'm excited. I want to be part of that, you know. That's, I want to be part of the joy of the alleviation of suffering. I want to be part, I, that's the party I want to be at, you know. Oh, do you mind if I ask another quick sure. question? Um, do you see, are you seeing a change in the trajectory of the culture of parenting in terms of? Very, you know, a, a hair, a hair. I, we yeah. work in the 0.00001%. So do I see it? Definitely. Is it ever going to be what my legacy would want? Never. You know, so I don't even think of a legacy. You know, it's in this moment, yeah, okay. in this period, and that's that. it, you yeah. know. So you don't, there is no vision of a legacy for you? No, I don't even think my daughter will teach or embody what I'm, yeah. it, it's ended even here. But you've created an institute now, you have coaches right, out there, I know. Like you've created a movement, you've almost, you know, been a yeah, part but I, of. I, yeah, yeah, so if you believe you've moved in. moved the needle, like you've started in many yeah, respects. I think the needle has of, moved, yes. there's something called conscious parenting out yeah. there now, thanks to the books. But, um, but I also think there's a bigger conversation around consciousness in general because yeah. consciousness is coming more and more to the yeah. surface. Yeah. Like it, it, we can't, we yeah. can't. Yeah. We can't so I'm part it. of the conversation. You're part of it in yeah. a very important part. Yeah. Because it's where we all begin, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm thrilled to be part of it. I'm humbled to be part of it. I'm not a creator of anything. I'm just grateful to be in the part, uh, the invited to the party. You know, I'm so grateful when people want to talk about consciousness with me. I mean, what a, great, yeah. what a great job I have to help people become more conscious. It's the most elevated discussion and, uh, you know, the greatest uh, semantics we can share, you mm. know. It's the most elevated dialogue I'm privileged to be part of and then it's called my work, you know. So it's, it's a great honor for me to be able to talk this language and live in this vibration. But it, it ends kind of in that moment, you yeah. know. It's for this moment. We did great. We had this conversation. We shared it. And yeah. now tomorrow we can be the most unconscious. And that's part of the journey, right? That's part of the moment. I, um, yeah, I can't thank you enough for this oh opportunity to get to interview. This has actually been a massive uh, and a tremendous highlight for me. If there's one thing you'd like to leave the listeners with, like is there one just short piece of advice that, you know, is quite... Uh, meta, because yeah. you're beautiful and you're meta. Um, I think it's just to laugh at this whole ridiculous setup that we call, you know, our world. You know, yeah. it's really quite a joke to me. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm not laughing at it, but I do laugh with it. You know, it's hilarious to me, the things that we take so seriously. And we've created all these institutions and we're so serious about our beauty and, you know, it's just hilarious, you know, and if we can, if we can inject humor mm. in all of it and uh, play with it, you know, then we live quite free, you know, we're, we're, we're not bound by rules or, you know, what will other people say and we just laugh, we, we realize it's all unconscious, you know, so I want your opinion, but you're as unconscious as I am. So why am I giving you any power? And then you take your power back. And you live your life your way, you know. And I think that's the greatest freedom to give people is take the power back. You've given power to this matrix that is unconscious, you know. It should just be laughed with. And then you take your power back and you can really just enjoy this adventure, you know. 
Now, you may not have started the party, but you certainly brought a lot more people to the dance floor. <laughs> um, and I'm very grateful to be one of them. So. so, first of all, how can people find out more about you, your books, yeah. where to buy your books? And so also, you're coming to Australia. I am coming to Australia. This is it's huge. A dream this come is massive. True. Yes. yes. So, I will be in Sydney July 22nd okay. and in Melbourne July 24th. Okay. And uh, they can get all the information on my Facebook page. It's Dr. Shafali, I think. Yeah. And then my website is drshafali.com. And we'll be in touch. And I hope you'll come and visit me when oh, I'm absolutely. there in Sydney. Yes. And I hope all your, your audience Fantastic. comes as well. We'll yes. put a link in the, uh, in the description below. Yes. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. Guys, thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to see all of these interviews in the, the flesh. Share this podcast with your friends and drop me a review on iTunes. I would love to hear what you guys think and also let you know that your comments help make sure that we keep producing killer content just like this. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all of my movements, upcoming podcasts, events, and much more, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com, and also check us out on all social media on the handle at Kerwin Ray. Thanks for joining us.